back to eMedCast, your source for emergency medicine ideas, information, and inspiration for medical students. It's Gabby Joya, Med20 from OHSU, and with the end of summer approaching, what better topic than how to appropriately consult orthopedic surgeons for bone fractures and injuries? Have you ever wondered which imaging you should order for shoulder dislocations? I'll give you a hint. AP and lateral aren't going to cut it. Should you go ahead and attempt to reduce and splint uncomplicated fractures? And what do orthopedic surgeons actually care about? I'm here today with two OHSU residents, Nick Bosch and Taylor Wara, to find out all of these answers. Nick and Taylor, thanks so much for joining us. Please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you found your way into orthopedic surgery. Sure. Um, Taylor Lara, I'm a third year resident here. I kind of fell into orthopedics through my guitar training as in college. We talked a lot about functional anatomy of the upper extremity and uh, found a teacher who was really into that and I incorporated that in my teaching practice and ended up liking that better than playing music so decided to go back to med school. Yeah, my name is uh, Nick. I'm a third year resident here at OHSU as well. I chose orthopedics. I can probably think of one event during my third year rotations. Uh, I was on my surgery slash EM rotation on the trauma service and I kind of knew I wanted to do surgery and was thinking about what type I wanted to do and then one night this young man came in with a hip dislocation after a car accident. Um, They took him back to the OR and closed reduced his hip and it was just for some reason it was like a really powerful experience for me. I mean this guy came in, he was screaming in pain, he couldn't walk just by taking him to the OR, giving him some anesthesia and using like our hands and techniques that we learned, like there was no equipment, no instruments, like the resident was able to move his hip back into place, totally treat his injury and get him to a point where he could start rehabbing and living his life again. And I just thought that was really uh, profound in its simplicity, in the simplistic nature of dealing with like a very awful complex injury. On a typical day, how often would you say you interact with the emergency department? Uh, When we're on call, anywhere between 12 to 30 times in 24 hours. (laughs) So a lot. (laughs) Every day. When you're a junior resident, um, when you're taking call uh, during the day or at night, pretty much every day you're on call, you'll interact with them. During the day, we have an intern on who sees every new consult in the hospital. So... Whether it's a newborn baby with a DDH that the NICU wanted us to look at or an open tip fib fracture in the ED that needs to be washed out or X-fixed, that one first-year resident is seeing all that stuff during the day. At night, it's a two or a three. Um, and generally what happens is they will staff up the chain. So they'll talk to the intern, would talk to their junior resident, they would then talk to the senior resident, and then the attending Would you say the majority of your consults come from the emergency department? I would say it tends to be about half and half. In the summer, when it's busy trauma season, definitely the majority of them come from the ER. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here, consults tend to be kind of seasonal for whatever reason. In the winter, we get a lot of consults for infection and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. which come from the MICU and the floor and all that stuff. I would say probably at least 50%, many times more than 50% come from the ER. Can you give us an example of a good consult that you've received from the emergency department, whether it was from an attending, a resident, a student, and what makes a good consult? 
a really good consult is one where the ED person has seen the patient, they've looked at the imaging themselves, they decided what they thought of the imaging, what they thought of the neurovascular status, and said, we can help you with what you need to do. This, this is the patient. They tell us the mechanism, the injuries, and say, we have, we're going to have sedation available for you to reduce this person's hip. And there's a tech available to help you hold the leg while you're splinting. Even better, like we've already washed it out and given antibiotics for the for the tip hip fracture. That's like just showing me that you've thought about the patients, you've thought about what needs to happen, and you're asking me to help with this patient, and it becomes our patient. There's there are certain orthopedic injuries that the ER should be able to work up and manage to a certain point, and. The way I think about it is like a lot of those things are things that uh, orthopedic attending is not going to come in for in the community. One of the most common reasons people present to the ER would be an ankle fracture or a distal radius fracture or something and they need to learn how to reduce and split those and send them out to be like a good ER physician. The worst consult I get is, I get a call and they say, we got this guy, we think he's got a septic knee, we want you to tap it. Not that I don't believe you, it's a, a big thing about deal, uh, interacting with your consultants is that you're asking for help and you're asking for their assessment, not just their skills or a procedure, because that's, that's giving an order, not getting a consult. If you tell me, we got a person with the history of IV drug use, hot swollen joint, can't bear weight, elevated inflammatory markers, then yeah, I'm happy to look at it and I can tell you if, if I think they should get tapped or if they have overlying cellulitis that, and I don't think they have a, a septic joint and we can make it septic by tapping through cellulitis. That's, that, that's something that I can help you with and that's, that's something I'm always happy to, to deal with and that's a, to me that's a great way to just present a problem that's clearly something that I should look at. If you're an ER resident and you want to get good at reductions, then you need to do the easy common ones, you need to do mm -hmm. the distal radiuses, you need to do the ankles, and then you get used to manipulating things, and then from there, the hips and the knees become much easier. I've, I've never said no to an ED resident saying, can I do this reduction? And I said, yes, I'll, I'll help you, I'll watch you. If you can't do it, I'll jump in and try it myself. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty psyched whenever the ED resident wants to do a procedure with me. I think, it's, I think it just means that you're invested in the care of the patient. And that's really what we want as consultants. We, just, we don't want to be a dumping ground. We want to be a collaborator. That's a really great way to look at it in terms of being a partner instead of um, just being asked to come perform a procedure. Um, I'm curious what types of things you expect emergency medicine residents to have already performed when they consult you on a patient? I think they should have seen the patient, quick exam. Um, I think they should have imaging, unless there is some question as to what imaging we want. But you can never go wrong ordering a set of basic x-rays mm -hmm. on someone. You can wait and ask for whether a CT or an MRI should be done. That's fine. But I think everyone should always have a set of basic x-rays. And then if it's something that is going to clearly need a procedure, like a broken ankle or tibia or what have you, and have a plan as to what they can do from their end to help us with the procedure, be it local anesthesia or sedation.
Or even better, this person has a distal radius fracture, I've already done the hematoma block. So you can just mm -hmm. come and reduce it. Have, have seen the patient. Doesn't have to be a thorough exam. Laid eyes upon is fine with me. I get, my rule is, um, I like to tell people reading is fundamental. <laughs> so, and that's, I'm not talking about reading the reports, I'm not reading the x-rays. I would much, much rather you give me a dummy interpretation of an x-ray that's your interpretation than reading your, I think the radius is broken around the wrist. It's fine. They have a tibia fracture in the middle of the bone. I, I love that. That's a great, that's a great interpretation. And ha have seen the patient, is the injury open or closed? Determine what the mechanism was. And you know, if, if there's time, get the imaging. And if you think it's a real emergency, then you know, let us know right away and we'll help with the imaging as we go. Having an idea of what the next step might be and just having kind of trying to tee that up. I need a history, I need a mechanism. Yeah. If you can give me an idea of their like soft tissues, other injuries. When oh, they last, when they yeah. last ate, like, because I need to plan this person's trip to the operating room. It's not as simple as they have right. a broken tibia. That's it. Like, it's just like taking anybody else to surgery. Yeah. Like, what comorbidities do they have? Are they on a blood thinner? Do they have a bad heart? Do they need an echo? Like, do we need to do call medicine? <laughs> yeah. Do they have a head bleed? Do they have? Are they going to the ICU? Are they going to the ward? So it sounds like what you're looking for is emergency medicine residents to have physically seen the patient, to take a history, including the mechanism of the injury, to perform a physical exam, obtain imaging, and start antibiotics if appropriate. And mostly importantly, is to be a good partner to you in terms of the next steps in management of the patient. Um, can you talk a little bit about the basic physical exam you expect for both motor and sensation function? So for lower extremity fractures, it's a pretty, I do a pretty simple, basic exam. Um, if a patient can dorsiflex their ankle and plantar flex their ankle and dorsiflex and plantar flex their toes, and if they have sensation on the top, sides, and bottom of the foot, pretty much all their nerves down the leg are working at that point. Um, the most important thing, like, they're very focused on the neurovascular exam, which is rarely abnormal in fractures, surprisingly. It's most of the time it's normal. Um, the actual more important part of the exam is the quality of the skin and the soft tissue around the injury. Mm -hmm. And I found as I've gone up in training, I focus more and more on looking at that on my exam, like how swollen is it? Is there extensive bruising? Are there like bad fracture blisters? Is this person's skin, do they have good skin? Is it like very frail skin? Um, because those things tend to be more important for their operative outcome and timing than uh, their neurovascular exam. So the upper extremity as far as a neurovascular exam, you know, if they got a palpable radial or ulnar pulse, sensation, back of the hand and the volar side of the index and, and pinky fingers, and then can they give me thumbs up, AOK -okay sign, and cross fingers? I mean, that covers pretty much everything. Uh, one thing that we often miss is the axillary nerve function. So can they feel over the deltoid muscle and can they fire the deltoid muscle? Things that you should really worry about and get missed sometimes are especially in fractures around the knee, it's never a bad idea to get an ABI, especially if you, can, if you suspect a knee dislocation or a medial tibial plateau fracture, those can often have popliteal artery injury. What we're always worried about is an open injury. So if you see a defect in the skin near a fracture that keeps oozing blood, that's open. That's something 
if, there, if there's one thing about your assessment that you are really want to refine is identifying an open fracture. Most people without an allergy to ANSEF can get a couple of grams from ANSEF and it's no big deal, even if we decide it's closed later on. In terms of getting x-rays, can you talk us through which imaging we should order based on the injury? Uh, if you have a femur fracture, you want to get a two view of the femur itself. Part of the body where there's a bunch of joints or more than one joint, you probably need three x-rays. So anything around the hand, because there's a ton of joints in the hand, the wrist has multiple joints, uh, you need three views of that. The foot in particular, three views because the foot is an arch of bones, and the second metatarsal is the keystone in the arch. Um, Elbows, three views. Mm -hmm. Shoulders, three views. Yeah. The biggest source of uh, frustration for us is the third view of the shoulder that we need, because you always want to shoot a scapular Y, but we really want an axillary view. <laughs> I think if there's anything you get from this, it's shoulders need axillary views. <laughs> Because you can't tell a dislocation, most shoulder dislocations are either anterior or posterior, and you can't assess that accurately on an AP view or even a scapular Y view. You need a shot through the armpit. You can also shoot something called a VELPO, V-E-L-P-E-A-U, which kind of gives you enough of the A to P translation of the humeral head to decide if it's dislocated or not. And lots of dislocations can be missed, particularly posterior, even though they are more rare. Alternatively, if the patient had a CT scan, we can usually assess it on that too. So CT scans help a lot, but we do like plain films whenever we can. Suppose a resident calls you regarding an open fracture. Are you comfortable with the EM resident starting antibiotics before you are able to evaluate the patient in person? Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. So that's one thing that emergency residents should go ahead and do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the time the we've there's a lot of good studies that show that the the biggest thing that affects outcomes in open fractures is timed antibiotics. It's not even timed to debridement, not even timed to fixation, but timed antibiotics. So if unless you think they're going to get anaphylaxis from ANSEF, give them ANSEF. Classically, we've said gentamicin as well. We'll never argue with giving antibiotics. What if you are the R2 on night call and you're really busy and a closed tib fib fracture comes into the ED? Would you want the residents to attempt to reduce and splint it for you before you were able to be there? Uh, I don't think so, just because that is a fracture is going to need surgery, and so I'd want to see their skin and how it looks yeah. and everything before. Um, I think something that they could do that for is something that, I think a simple rule is something that can go home. Uh, like if it's treated appropriately, like a distal radius or an ankle fracture or something, I would be more okay with that. The whole reason you put on a splint is either to hold a reduction or to make sure the patient can mobilize without insulting the soft tissues more. So most tibia fractures don't necessarily need a formal reduction, but what, what they can often do is the kind of the, the weight of the foot can kind of twist the distal fragment um, into uh, external rotation. So what I would be super impressed with and very happy about is if the resident didn't necessarily try to splint it, but propped it up with pillows in a way that kind of kept the rotational alignment. Um, and man, if, if the D resident wants to splint with me, I'm always happy about that because uh, I'll hold for you and I'll, I'll tell you how to do everything because at some point you may be putting on a long leg splint yourself and oh my God, it's horrible. Um, I think what this comes up a lot is ankle and shoulder dislocations. 
that's something there unless I'm dealing with another emergency at the same time I'll usually triage that to the top of my list and get to see that patient as soon as possible we'll often have the situation where you have just a, a tibio-talar dislocation just basically an ankle dislocation without a fracture and sometimes the ED will just go ahead and reduce that especially if there's any delay in me getting to the patient I'm fine with that shoulder dislocations here tend to be taken care of by the ED, but I don't think we have a rule on that. That's just sort of a practice pattern. In general, I want to be there for every reduction, whether you're doing it or, or I'm doing it, just because in case it doesn't go well, I can help. And lastly, when you get consults from outside or rural areas, how do you handle those patients? Your thought process is essentially triages into like three things, like does this person need to transfer it to our service? Does this person can this person go home and come to clinic? How soon do they need to come to clinic? Or can the, should this patient, I don't know what's going on, should they come to the ER here to be evaluated? That's all for today from our orthopedic surgery residents, Nick and Taylor. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on EMIGCAST and for the tips around how to evaluate, diagnose, and begin treatment before consulting you all. See you next time.